1: Oh, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and welcome back to the uncreatively named month of interviews. If you somehow hadn't noticed, this is indeed yet another bonus episode, and this time, I am just pleased as all get out to welcome back the man, the myth, the absolute legend, the one and only Dallin Stanford. Dallin, my friend, welcome back, and how the heck are you?
0: Well, firstly, David, thanks for having me back. It, it means I've done something right on the first occasion, so that's good. <laughs> um, I've been I've been really well my friend lots of travel happening earlier this year uh come just came back from South Africa from the Sevens World Cup and really nice to spend the fall here with family right now the leaves are changing uh, just before the winter sets in
1: you picked the right time to come back to New England that's for sure sure so it's been just a hair over a half of a year since we've last had you on the show during that time as you just alluded to you've been all over the world can you tell us some of your recent travel highlights
0: yeah, so the Sevens World Series kept me very busy this year. Very fortunate to do some new stops as well, uh, but got a chance to go to Spain, a couple events there, Malaga and Sevilla. Toulouse in France was an epic trip. And then the usual wow. ones in Canada, uh, Vancouver, always a lovely city to visit. And then going back to Los Angeles, where I spent a lot of my time in America as well to finish up the series. And then w- where I grew up, Cape Town, South Africa, I happened to host the Sevens World Cup. So that trip extra special for me to go home, see friends I haven't seen in three years because of the pandemic and the world right. being shut shut down. So yeah, the Sevens has really been a, a brilliant uh, a chance to get to see the world and see friends. Uh, Major League Rugby has taken me a, a few places as well this year. Uh, New York was the final. So it was nice to finally be, that was our first game on site, by the way, that we could call the game live. As oh, opposed to being I didn't know that. Person. Yeah. So that was nice to actually be able to see the full field, see what space the players have. It was It was great <laughs> to be there in person.
1: Well, some of the photos you've been posting from, especially from Cape Town, you know, going to your old schools and you on top of, is it Tabletop Mountain? Do I remember that right?
0: That's right, yes. The scenes are just, what a place, right? Well, it's stunning, right? You've got the two oceans that come together at the most southern tip of Africa, Cape Town is, is, is the, you know, the, known as the mother city that has, you know, you obviously got the wildlife as well nearby, and then you've got the beautiful mountains, the oceans, it really is truly one of the best places, so the fact that World Dragby decided to go back there, it's quite interesting because Cape Town already hosts a stop on the Sevens World Series, so mm. it is, it, you know, I would prefer to go to a new destination completely unattached to one of the stops in the Sevens Series, maybe to help grow the game in that region, but either way, there's, you know, when you get a, a call up to go back to, to South Africa, why not, it's unbelievable.
1: Well, I know you're planning to head back to California in the not too distant future. At first, when, you know, when I found that out, I was like, oh, no, he's not going to be doing comms for the Free Jacks or MLR anymore. But then I remembered those broadcasts are never in Massachusetts anyway, right? I seem to recall you saying there was a location you'd go to and I think it was Indianapolis. Am I right about that? Yes. And then there was a second one. Those sort of the two primary
0: places. That's right. The second one was in Austin, Texas. And so um, you would you know, look, the good thing, let's be honest. So my career, I can be anywhere in the US and I, well, technically in the world, but in the US, particularly with major league rugby, because they just fly you to where you're going to be. The The model in the last two years has been a remote uh, model. Most of the teams have signed up it, meaning that, you know, those you know seven of the 12 or 13 teams that have signed up your, your bear games will be uh, done remotely and so we would fly to studios call the game from a little screen so quite difficult to do a lot of the people watching don't don't realize that you're not actually always at the stadium and mm. so sometimes when i post on social media big rival games happening they're like i'll see you in boston or la and i'm like i'm actually not even there so it's quite funny uh, how it's done <laughs> look i hope i hope we go back to in person it just makes for a better product because you get to engage with you know the players and the staff and you get to see the field you get to mm. bring more of the atmosphere to life so hopefully that does happen but yes yeah, so i'll go back to california i will still be around obviously involved in rugby it's what i do full-time broadcaster um, i might even be doing some more sideline stuff because i don't want to travel as much because every single weekend on the road is a lot particularly if i'm doing other things to world rugby um, and other events as well
1: well that was my next question the um is the remote calling gonna um continue next year or they has mlr indicated they would like to get you there in person if possible
0: they've indicated that they want to carry on with the remote model. It it remains to be seen how the different franchises and teams respond to that offering as well. So they have a choice. So like for example, New York, they would do their production on site. And so their commentators would physically be in New York. So generally, there was like Matt McCarthy and uh, Pago Haini or, or Mike Petrie would be living there, which is cool for them. They get just go down the street, commentate you know, their professional team, and then they get to go home. Whereas we would fly. Literally, if the game was in Boston, I'm 30 minutes away. I'd have to fly three and a half hours to Indianapolis, uh, commentate a game on maybe a Saturday, then a game on a Sunday, then fly back Monday late. So it's a four-day round trip to commentate a few games. Uh. And so it's really it's it's tough. It's tough on family life for sure, and 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 you're not getting the best product. While you can do more games, I get that. You just you're not able to see the full vision of the field, and particularly when the camera work is still figuring out how they're getting better and see, seeing the game. Mm-hmm. It's vastly different to be onside. Uh,
1: so. Speaking of the MLR, I know the, the new season is still several months off, and that's also not the, the main reason I've asked you to come here today. But, you know, you must be thinking about it. Are there some things you're really looking forward to for this next year? I, I feel like this is going to be the best season yet for Major League Rugby. Do you think that's a fair prediction?
0: I, I, I hope so, yes. I'm always very optimistic about any new season like yourself. I'm very curious to see what happens with Los Angeles and Austin. And yeah. there are, there's also talk potentially of maybe another team joining in time. I don't know if they're going to reach the, the the deadline, but yes, it's going to be a fabulous season. Whatever happens with those sides, I'm excited to see how it plays out. There, there are so many positive things that have been happening in the various communities. I know that the national team has, you know, struggled a little bit because of course we still have a rugby world cup 15s qualify the final one to play for the US national side and a lot of major rugby players are involved. I hope the US qualify there first of all to give you know the country a boost heading into the next rugby world cup in France and then that will boost major league rugby as well who Mm. I know it's tricky right because there's a catch 22 where major rugby's goal uh, they've laid out is is you know is to make it a viable commercial business in America, not necessarily to develop American players for the national team, while that might be an ancillary uh, goal that will happen uh, over time as well, it's it's a tricky one for sure. But I do believe having a professional league in your own country is vital to the longevity for those that country's, especially 15 aside competitiveness.
1: Yeah, and right now, of course, just I think maybe today or tomorrow, the, the sort of two-headed Falcons tour, they're calling it. with the, I think one group's in Uruguay and another's headed to South Africa. They're going to face the, the Toyota Cheetahs tomorrow, I think it is. So that's – hey, more experience for these guys who might be in that reprochage.
0: Yes, exactly. And I think it's great because they haven't had a lot of time at all together to to prep and train. So when I last saw Gary Gold – you know, he was anxious because, you know, it's, it's it's on his shoulders, you know, leading this 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 US side to another World Cup. And if they don't qualify, you know, it, it is it is it is pretty, um, you know, a pr- pretty harsh reality of where rugby is in the US. So look, the fact that they do qualify doesn't necessarily mean the US obviously would do well at the World Cup, but you just need to get there. That's number one, priority number one. So the fact that they can have two squads play, which just means more players can get seen. And you never know, unfortunately injuries do happen. And so you do need to have a broader squad, uh, particularly for that qualify. Fire, it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes
1: yeah i think every one of those matches is gonna none of them are gonna be easy i'll put it that way yeah. so the the big reason as if i needed one to have you back on of course was to talk about not the 15s but the sevens rugby something i have only recently come to love um you've had quite a history with it yourself uh, from way back before you became a broadcaster can you talk about your own sevens career so uh, I, I don't think sevens was introduced at the olympics until beijing but you have some other medals to talk about i believe
0: yeah. So you're right. So sevens, well, firstly, growing up in South Africa, sevens was just a one tournament a year type deal. So you played, you know, your you regular 15 season. And then at the end of the year, there would be like a fun sevens tournament you got to take part in. And I remember playing at high school and even junior school loved sevens because for me, sevens was basically my favorite game in rugby is actually touch rugby. And so playing at practice, like 30 minutes before everyone else arrives, you know, a few friends would be there. We played touch rugby and the thing about rugby, which is so interesting, particularly touch rugby, it's hard is that you need to score without being touched. So if you equate that to a game of 15s or sevens, you need to elude the defender completely. They don't even get a fingertip Mm. on you. So you need to be very evasive. You need to be very skilled in your footwork. You need to be able to beat people for speed, um, accelerate and take people one-on-one, which I believe is such an instrumental skill in the game of rugby particularly 15s were particularly newer players when they get to the game those skill sets are often not really taught or coached so yeah Mm. that's what I loved about it so playing sevens in a tackle form was really great because you could step people and you know sure if they touch you it didn't matter because it was a tackle rugby so I had a great time doing that but wasn't enough it was only when I came to America in 2003 after I did a 15 aside season in California the team I played for there was called the Occidental Old Boys did they take part in summer sevens and yeah, and so we went to Las Vegas, went to San Diego, Santa Barbara, all over playing in these fun, competitive seven-a-side tournaments. We had a very good team. We couldn't, we didn't do that well in 15s, but we had seven or eight good players. So in sevens, it was perfect. So we won a lot of these tournaments. We did really well. And I, I love playing sevens because you got better and better, which each, which each tournament. But the funny thing is I didn't know that there was a national sevens event every year where the top 16 teams in the country gathered. And so one year we we made that. We uh, qualified for nationals and we went along and played in the tournament and lost one game and came fifth in the country. And so that was a really eye-opening experience and from wow. that yeah, from that experience if we didn't go, I would not have been seen by the USA sevens coach invited to try out for the national team. Wow. So, I credit the club sevens set up in America for, you know, unearthing myself and a few other players that were able to play like Takuna Gwenya or somebody that came out of that program and he would end up and round Brian in one of the most famous tries ever scored at a Rugby World Cup 15s and he came through that sevens program so it really was a remarkable experience we actually, um, I played then we merged with the team Belmont Shaw who was a powerhouse in rugby but a few of us joined their seven aside team and we we played in three national sevens finals uh, in consecutive years. We only won one or wow. three, but still won a national title. Um so it was yeah. pretty special, the special times, you know, playing in um club sevens here in the US. And it really renewed my love for the game. Because 15s, I like 15s, but I'm not obsessed with it. Sevens, I'm absolutely obsessed as a player, as a viewer, as a fan, as a broadcaster, because I feel like it brings in all the exciting elements of rugby into one one short sport. So, am I right that you've uh, you've been a player as well as a coach for sevens? Yes, exactly. You know, so you know, playing sevens is you know it, it, it's phenomenal, but you only control you know yourself, right? But being a coach was was completely different. Uh, it was a brilliant experience. I coached at Occidental College, the the men's side. We um we had a very good, talented group of players, and so in in the uh, after they finished the fifteen-a-side season, I knew we'd have a core group of good players, and I had a wonderful time coaching them. It was interesting because they're all students, and you know, I suppose when you're a bit younger in life, you don't necessarily want to play a structured game, but sevens can be exciting if you have a framework to play with. So Ooh. as opposed to saying to the players, just go and fling the ball around, have fun, and do whatever you want that that would lead to in a competitive sevens game to you giving possession away another team maybe scoring and you kind of getting knocked out so i gave them a lovely framework to work in which i thought was quite an easy game plan and then when they got to a certain number of phases they could step and run and do whatever they wanted they were so skilled so this team we won the national sevens uh, for the small college level in in 2013 the first and first and only national title for oxy it was a great program to be involved in and I, i love coaching sevens i think it's such a it's a, it's a great uh, skill set to have because even forwards can, and anybody can benefit from sevens. So that's why a lot of people, if they're 15 aside players and they and they are a bit anxious to play sevens, I always encourage them because number one, you're gonna need to lose, right? You Your core skills are only gonna get better. Your attacking going can get better because you have to beat people one-on-one, which is a brilliant skill to have. Then in tackling, it, it opens up you know your weaknesses because you have a big space to defend. There's no longer you know an extra eight or nine people near you. It's you somebody in front of you, 10 meters need either, either side of you, and you have to use your technique to bring their player down. So I, I, it's so beneficial. And a lot of coaches use sevens in, in some countries to develop their 15 aside players.
1: So I was recently incredibly lucky to talk with Irish legend Bernard Jackman. And uh, one of the cool things he said that really interested me was that, in his theory, being a coach is actually harder than being a player. Um, his reasoning was, you know, when you're a player, all you have to do is get yourself ready. You have to get yourself right. You have to be mentally right and physically right. And then you just show up. What you're going to do that day at training is all laid out for you. All you have to do is apply yourself. Whereas the coach, you spend all day thinking about it and, and all night thinking about it. And you're managing all these different, sometimes very different personalities in the group as well. What's your take on that?
0: yeah absolutely spot on you know you said as a player you control your own fitness your training you control your mindset and you kind of just focus on your role within the team right and that's all you need to do which is you know that's great but as a coach as you mentioned like it depends who you're coaching also if you i have found that when i go to the women's uh, rugby teams and i coach them they listen straight away and they coach each other as well with what you said so it, it makes your job a lot easier well huh. when you're coaching a bunch of college kids which i was guys they would hardly listen to you, right? And then they would just do their own thing. And you're like, we're trying to do a game plan. And there's one simple thing you need to do and you're doing the exact opposite, right? So it does get to those <laughs> funny times. But what I will say about being a coach, I always remember all the great teachers I had growing up, all the great coaches I had. What are the elements that I loved about them? For me, there were three things that stood out. I loved a coach that had humor, somebody that can bring the game to life, somebody that didn't, wasn't afraid to have a laugh, make fun of themselves, all the players in a nice way, obviously. So that really attracted me to certain type of coach. Um, the other thing I loved about coaches who knew the game very well, they knew not just like we're going to run this drill just because this is one of the drills I found today, but why are you going to do something so they can mm. help educate you as a young player coming through the reason why things are done so you can then develop, there could be better ways to do it later in life, but you can understand the the, the, the formula and the things they're trying to get out of that. That was really important. And then thirdly, which I enjoyed about previous coaches that I've had was the coaches that could still move around and show you, and 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 actually sometimes even step you and make you look silly, and you're like, oh, that should be, you you suddenly have respect for that coach, you know? So it's like the fitness instructor that's three hundred pounds or three hundred fifty pounds <laughs> overweight. It's like, no, no, that doesn't I, you straight away. I don't get a buy right. So so I felt like, well, if I can portray some of those things that I liked as a as a, a young player to be a coach or role model for these kids then at least they would listen to me and they would get something out of it. And so I I felt like that's kind of what I bring to the table. Uh, The the players are great people. They respond really well. You obviously, you know, instill the values of rugby as well. I think it's important, you know, as somebody that's a little bit older than the players you coach is to bring those values to life and make sure that, you know, whatever they do in another sport is fine or another part of their life is fine. But here, rugby is done differently. And these are the values we adhere to. And this is how we do things here. And so, and it might not be for everybody, um, but I feel like the, the values of you know, respect and camaraderie and friendship and all those good values are the most important part. It's not about winning or losing. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Like you don't go home and count your medals or count your games you've won, but you do count the friendships you've made and you do count the places you've traveled, uh, the people you've met, the laughs you've had along the way. Those are probably all the memories. Like I know from I got fortunate enough to play seven for the USA, travel around the world, but it's the people I remember the most, you know, the destinations Mm. and the memories you had. I can't really remember the games themselves and the intricate parts. And I'm sure there might be one or two small highlights in the field, but it's more about the people involved and kind of how they were. So um, yeah, as a coach, you're right. You do have to balance a lot. But I suppose if you have a good group of people, it's fun, it's exciting, it's a lot more work, because you do have to prep the sessions, you want to be, you want to bring something new every time, which I think is a very, that was probably the hardest part for me as a coach was, do you think of a creative way to do something very similar, you know, because you've got 20 weeks of coaching, right? So that's a, mm-hmm. a lot of material, and it's not that easily available uh, to find new coaching, uh, things like that. But um, as long as you're having fun, I think that's the most important part. So
1: Several years ago, I was talking to my friend Jan, the former USA Eagle. She mentioned something about a sevens tournament, and I was kind of like, "eh." And she kind of looked strange, and she said, what, you don't like sevens? And I basically said, nah, I can't really be bothered with it. And I will never forget the look on her face, like, what are you, absolutely nuts? And since then, I have definitely come to see the light. But if you came across somebody like I was then you know, what What would be some of the things that you might say to them to convince them that they need to take another look at this and really see about getting into it?
0: And are you talking about playing the game of Sevens? Are you talking about watching or both? Both. Okay. Well, the first thing, you know, I think Sevens is one of the most exciting games on the planet. So it's fun and it's exciting. Because the games are so short, The it often leads to an overtime score to win it or just a very tight game. So I think mm. that's a big reason why why lots of people love it. It's also there. There are there are more teams and countries able to win a tournament or a competition, which I think the competitiveness makes it more interesting, as opposed to just having a powerhouse in 15s, you know, who just wins every single tournament doesn't really create make it fun. So I think that you know more people getting involved that that that's important. If I was to, to a fifteen aside player or non rugby player to play the game, I would say it's a good intro to the game of rugby playing hmm. sevens because. 15s can be very technical and quite confusing and there's lots of laws of the game so i recommend people to try sevens first and generally they go and love it because you get lots of ball you get to run a lot you get to tackle you get to do all the fun things sure it might be tiring because the field's quite big with only seven people but generally that's my advice here to new people to go go enjoy that look it's also i think sevens is what what sets sevens apart from 15s as well particularly is that sevens can open up your your passport uh, passport to travel the world Playing in social mm. events, playing in events around the globe, almost every country has some sort of sevens tournament you can go and play in. And that's why I got the early part, even when I wasn't playing for the USA. I went on some club tours for sevens, particularly to travel all over. Went to Singapore, went to Bangkok, uh we, we, you wow. know, went around the world playing that. So I think that's uh, you know, where that's really cool. And look, it's in the Olympic Games too. So particularly here in the US, where, you know, the Olympics uh is obviously quite a, a highlight uh, to say that sevens is there and not fifteens is is quite an attractive prospect
1: though we are still olympic champs you know they can never take away our 15's gold medal there <laughs> yeah cause that's never going to happen again so that seems very american too like okay we just won nobody else can play <laughs> so it it feels like it was an age ago already but it was only last september it was only last month that we did uh, have the sevens rugby world cup that was the first time i was absolutely just glued to my screen from the very beginning to the very end i watched i think every single match in that entire tournament it was incredible Uh, You and Philip Tutte, two of my favorite commentators in the whole world, probably my top two, in fact, were both there for it. Um, You know, can you talk about some of the great things that you, you know, from that experience being there and, you know, what was the bigger surprise, Fiji winning for the men or Australia winning for the women?
0: So both those two weren't a surprise for me at all. Mm. Fiji I'd picked in the men's side to to win it. And uh, even though South Africa had beaten them handedly in the final of the Commonwealth Games, you know, shortly before that, Australia had won the seven series for the very first time in history. I'm talking about the men's side. So coming into the sevens World Cup, it's always an interesting one because you can look at the top six or eight sides and one of those teams could win it, which is different when you enter a 15th World Cup. You're looking at three or four sides that could potentially win it. So the fact yep. that you have six or eight is very interesting. I knew Fiji, there are side that are you know, like in New Zealand, when New Zealand lose, the next team that plays them, good luck, because they're going to put forty or fifty points <laughs> on you, right? So, but Fiji <laughs> were playing so, such fine rugby. The way they are able to throw the ball around is it's it's Still, it's still mind boggling. I managed to speak to Ben Gollings, their coach, the day after the the tournament. We sat down, and had coffee, and you know, a couple of just cool questions. Just as an avid fan, I'm like, how do you? How do you coach them? Because, I mean, sure, Ben was one of the great attacking players of all time, but this is a different style because only in Fiji can you carry the ball in one hand, get tackled, and there's nobody near the player, and they'll just throw the ball in the air, and one person will come out of nowhere, scoop it up, and then beat another player and do the same thing nonstop. It's <laughs> it's never it's, too
1: late for an offload in Fiji.
0: Exactly. It's ridiculous. So, look, I, I think in terms of surprises, Ireland was one of the surprise packages oh, okay. in the main tournament. They take bronze, top three in the world, Ireland who didn't have a sevens tournament, a sevens uh, professional team six years ago. So oh, wow. they have very new program uh, and with a bunch of great players. The fact that they won a bronze medal at the at these, uh, Rugby World Cup sevens is amazing. South Africa have never won the sevens World Cup, which is unbelievable for a country that have won the that, series four times. I find that really surprising. Fifteens, Exactly. So it's a high level, high stakes events and tournaments and south africa unfortunately bombed out which was sad because when it's your home country putting on the event the fans tend to stick around later when your team is still in it so that wasn't great i suppose for the tournament but saying that everybody i saw there was having a great time so colorful the fancy dresses were out the weather was also very very nice it was fantastic then the woman's side as well you mentioned australia you're right the new zealand australia game was close but australia had shown how dominant they were by winning not only the Commonwealth Games, but winning the Sevens World Series as well. So this year was their year, for sure. Um, Fiji, Fijiana were very good as well in the tournament. USA, 4G, a bit disappointing. But but again, it's tricky because when you, they played Australia, right? So that's the team that would end up to go and win it. So that's what makes Sevens so hard. If you do come up against a side that is on form, it, it's very tough, obviously, to advance.
1: Yeah, and when, when there's only seven minutes and a half, if you don't come out firing and, and you're just a little slow, sometimes you can never catch up, right?
0: Yes, and with this format, it was the very first time they ever did this. They they had a single elimination knockout. I mean, you still played in the tournament further on, but you couldn't obviously compete for for the Melrose Cup. So that was interesting. There, there is a you know current debate uh, has been going for a long time about the length of the tournaments. I totally agree. These are very very long days. As a broadcaster, we would get there at seven in the morning to or even earlier to the stadium. and We wouldn't leave sometimes till eleven o'clock at night. Now that's wow. a long day. It's a long day's work. Uh, and so. The players, you know, sure, they may have only played one game for the first day and one game for the second day. But as a viewer, you're watching or as a person working the event or coming to the stadium, you're there, you know, you could be there for 12 hours to, to try right. taking all the games. And, and that is a bit too long. I totally get that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's very tough when you do combine, combined events, which is what you want to do. You want to have maximum amount of people there watching both the woman and the men compete.
1: Well, I thought the, the broadcast itself did a great job um, sort of they were very communicative. There was always, you know, a match would end and then something would come on the screen saying, this is what's next. This is what's after that. So you're not scratching your head. And then every so often they'd say, okay, you know, 15 minute countdown, we're going to do this other thing. They would do great pieces about Cape town. They would do silly stuff, you know, there on the field and stuff. And I just, I thought they did an excellent job. And as a viewer, it was like, "Oh, okay, well look, I've got 15 minutes. I guess I'll, you know, go get a drink of water or something like that. You're wondering if you're going to miss half of the next game. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, well that's great to hear. And and, and you know the, the the World Rugby Production crew have worked so hard to to make it pretty seamless and to make it fun and exciting between the games to keep everybody updated. And again, that's something you know when we go to our broadcast meetings the day before every tournament where we commentate these things we go through, right? Because you want to have a viewer tune in. If they only tune in for one game, you need to, when you call in that game, you need to make them aware of you know, obviously, which teams are playing where they are in the tournament, what they're playing for, what's at stake, what's to come, what happened before, uh, and the greater scheme of things, if it's a series, you need to tell them, well, this is only stop five of a 10 tournament series, and this is where they go next. So there's a lot of, you know, uh, different aspects you need to touch on. But again, it, it all keeps everybody informed and up to date of what's going on, what the scenarios are, and that sort of thing. So that's great to hear. appreciate that feedback.
1: Oh, yeah, I thought it was excellently done. Like I said, it was the first time I did, you know, sit there for basically an entire day watching this too. And never once was I like, boy, this is getting old. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> uh, I, I am wondering, can you talk about some of your favorite moments from that tournament? Uh, obviously, you had a great time personally, but for the, the matches themselves, um, what are some of the highlights that stood out for you?
0: Yeah, so if, uh, I think you know. Well, firstly, as you said, so catching up with friends was amazing. That, that that was really a special part. The World Cup, because it is such a you know interesting one in terms of it's a knockout format, the pressures on players and things like that. It was cool to see how different players and teams stood out. The, the oh. Irish, the Irish men. I was again. I, I mentioned them before. It's they were certainly one of the highlights because they played such exciting rugby, which is great. Uganda played some really good games as well. There were countries that I hadn't commentated myself. It was really good to see them in action, and that's that's the beautiful thing about a World Cup. Where you know you, you you have 24 men's teams and 16 women's teams, so 40 teams in action. And generally you only have 28 playing on a weekend if it's men and women combined. So you're gonna see a lot of, lot of other countries take part, which I think is really cool. Um other highlights that stood out for me, the New Zealand obviously had some great moments. Fiji, which is so special to watch, they really were, were yeah. outstanding. I enjoyed watching the some of the women's competition as well. Uh, I didn't get a chance to commentate that side of the division, but you know, seeing the home side, South Africa play as well, I know how much energy and emphasis they've put in the game in the last couple of years, and so that was really special to see the all play. Um, but you know what? It's it's hard because it's funny to say. You prepare so much for these tournaments and you're invested and you're in them. You're living every moment, the highs and lows. It's draining as a commentator, but you love it, right? After the tournament's done, the games, they all just really they do. They blend into one big game. So you remember <laughs> a few, you remember a few snippets here and there, but when you look back, it's like you can remember the cup finals sure or maybe one or two games you called but really it's just a haze to be honest <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, oh by the way I have actually reached out to Philippa Tuddy a couple of times and I, I can't get a reply from her so if you have an in with her please tell her I'm not some random creep
0: <laughs> well just just say just say your South African friend Dallin suggested you reach out and uh, and you're not a stalker you're actually a brilliant rugby uh, fanatic so uh, you you definitely be able to get her on I can message her for you
1: I, I do wonder if you're telling somebody you're not a stalker pretty much tells them you're a stalker. <laughs> <I would think.
0: laughs> but you just you uh, just have to drop somebody's name that they know, so at least they know it's legit.
1: That's true. Actually, it, it worked with Buzzy just recently, See? so I appreciated that too. Easy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so only next
1: month, and for the first time since 2019, the HSBC Seven Series returns to Hong Kong to kick off this new season. I guess the obvious questions are: Are you going to be there, and what can we expect out of the upcoming series?
0: Yes. So 25 hour journey, I'll be there. It'll be a, a far one for me. I, even though I thought South would be quite far, but uh, this one is, is a doozy. Yes. I, I, I'm very happy to say I'll be uh, in China for this one. The last time I was in Hong Kong was playing actually in 2009 for the USA. 7s. Wow. So it's been, been a long time. I was going to call the event there in 2020, but uh, uh, the pandemic obviously ended that. So it, it will be amazing to go to the iconic Hong Kong stadium. Uh, I, I mean, as a young kid watching sevens, it was all about Hong Kong you know, and to be able to chance to go play, to play there was fantastic. And now to tick it off to be a broadcaster, super excited. Interesting. We're going to go twice. So there'll be one there just on the series. That. Yeah. So 11 stops for the men series, seven for the woman. Uh, seven of those will be combined events with the men and women. Uh, the schedule kind of go, goes all over, but the return back to Hong Kong, uh, I think the dates are the end of March, beginning of April yep. is when when the teams go back. So look, what to expect. It's going to be another blockbuster. The thing I loved about the the past series, I did a little bit of the women's series as well as the men, but for the men coming into the last tournament in Los Angeles, four countries could win it which I've never seen a situation like that before. So that was really remarkable. The fact that a new country won the series in Australia was so great on the men's side um, and the women for Australia were outstanding. I think with New Zealand playing all the tournaments now coming up with this next calendar year, Australia and the women's side, it's going to be tested uh, pretty much. USA, Canada, uh, France, uh, and England. Those, well, Great Britain, who is now going to be competing, will be interesting to see how they select their side and how good they'll be. So that'll be something new for teams oh, to look at as well. Oh, it's a
1: GB team this time. It is a that. GB
0: team. Yes, it is. So Great Britain will be competing. Now that is a real shame for the, the countries. You know, obviously Scotland, Wales, and the England setup. But at the same time, the fact that Great Britain play in the Olympic cycle as GB, it does make sense that they compete then on the Sevens World Series. Ireland, of course, will still have their side, which will be great for them. But it is—it was a hotly contested debate for sure. Huh. You know, I understand that. You know, logistically and uh, financially, it's very—you know—it's—it's it's tough to manage these sides. Uh, but with these big unions playing, I, I feel like they potentially should have had their own country play because you get to develop your own country's players. Whereas in GB, mm. there's no guarantee that any Welsh players or any Scottish players or as many England players will play in that side. You just never know how it's going to sit.
1: So um, I got the impression when I was looking some stuff up that um, Hong Kong is special for this series in that the Hong Kong leg is a three-day event rather than a two-day event, which kind of makes it a, just a different atmosphere. Is that going to be the case for for both legs this time, do you know, or...?
0: yes i do know so the the interesting one is the first tournament november november 4th to the 6th is just for the men only so generally it used to be yeah it used to be mixed with the men and women and then there also there was a challenger series that was being played as at the same time as well so this time around it looks like it's just the men but over three days so i remember playing there it it's very it's normally very humid very hot now we normally go in in you know march april time so november will be different but because of those conditions it, it actually was pretty nice to play one game on the Friday night. Then you play, um, you know, you rest of your pool games on the Saturday. So just two games. And then on the Sunday, you play your knockouts. And if you did really well, you know, you'll play your quarters and your, and your some sort of uh, semi and final. So you could play three games. So it kind of builds up into the tournament, which is actually a nice format. Hong Kong, the reason why it's so famous is because it's one of the original iconic grounds for sevens and the, and normally is sold out within five minutes. And it's the most fancy dress outfits you'll see. The one side called the South Stand. It's probably the most raucous stand you can ever see in rugby. It is really? complete, yeah, complete carnage. There's like a five-hour line to get into the South Stand just to get in. Because oh my nobody, nobody wants to leave. Because once you leave, then your place gets taken. So it, it's pretty <laughs> remarkable. I got a chance to be a, a fan there one time before I was playing for the US. And honestly, it was the best weekend uh, of my life. It was just so much fun. So yeah, that's why Hong Kong is pretty pretty famous for that. I don't I don't think it's going to be anywhere near capacity because of the you know the restrictions to uh, for, for seating and and spacing fans on things like that. Um, Hong Kong is still you know one of the events that I think will be one of the lower attended just because of their their policies in place. Oh, interesting. Yeah.
1: So uh, you alluded to some of the other places it's going to be going. I see that it, the list I saw it looks like we start in Hong Kong, go to Dubai, Cape Town. Hamilton, I assume that's Hamilton, New Zealand, not Hamilton, Ontario?
0: Yes, exactly. Hamilton, New Zealand. That's right. Then Sydney Sydney will host in Australia the next weekend. Um, and and just, just bearing in mind, these events are, are generally back-to-back. So Hong Kong and Dubai are connected together. New Zealand and Australia are connected together. Los Angeles will host for the USA in uh, February 25 and 26. So people need to get that on the calendar. And then Vancouver will host us March 3, 4, and 5. Those two events are together and then take a little bit of break. And then it'll be Hong Kong- uh, in March, end of March, and then Singapore after that, and then the series will finish for the women in France uh, in Toulouse, and then the the men will after France go to London to finish off the series there in May. So it's a very busy calendar. I haven't got my full schedule yet, uh, but I know I'll be I'll be doing the um, uh, the Hong Kong event first, and then the the home legs, of course, uh, here in LA and Vancouver, which will be very exciting. Uh,
1: February in Southern California. That was that was good scheduling.
0: <laughs> exactly well well so this this is the tricky, um, this is the, the tricky part right is that you know you, you you only want to have you know a month in between these different tournaments because you have to have it done by may and then of course the you know some of the tournaments the, the time period is really locked in so for the u.s it was kind of hard where to go and so you can't go to the east coast in february so you have to go <laughs> to the west coast which makes sense
1: <laughs> as we know from watching free jacks yeah. games yeah <laughs> or not watching them in february i guess um so out of all these amazing and wildly varied destinations, do you have a favorite either as a player or as, you know, as now as a commentator?
0: Yes. I, my favorite as a player was, was going to Hong Kong, just because it's the, you know, the, the birthplace of, well, not the Melrose is the birthplace of sevens right. in Scotland, but, but in terms of these big events. And so going to Hong Kong, you know, was definitely a bucket list item. The uh, commentary one is Cape town. Cape town is my favorite event, obviously to go commentate, because that's home and things like that. And then, um, I suppose if there was a, and this is the thing about sevens, they have so many great venues around the world. Um, I know that you and I spoke earlier, you were saying, well, if there isn't a place you'd like to go to do sevens. Well, there are so many cool ones. Like Kenya has the Safari sevens. You've got all these islands around that have had sevens before. Rugby America's North. I went to Turks and Caicos on the beach and there was a tournament just two meters inland. That was remarkable. and so look, if there was one in Greece, I'd love to go to Greece again. And if there's a sevens event to go commentate, sign me up. Oh,
1: how good would that be? Oh, wow. Um, if you would, uh, well, actually, I'm sorry. I almost skipped this bit. Um, so last year when I was looking at some of the stats, um, the USA women scored the fourth most points in the overall series, the USA men finished sixth, you know, Give me your honest opinion. Is it realistic to hope for one of those teams to win it all? Um, and further, is the gap between the top teams and the bottom teams widening, or do, do you see it shrinking?
0: So sevens is interesting, right? You can't really you can't really gauge that season to season because the teams differ quite a bit. And so okay. it all de- it all depends on the cycle. So this is where it's very important. Um, so the US uh, were the, the second in the world for the men and the women in 2019, the best ever the US has done and finished, which is remarkable. You know, the women and the men won a host of different events during that season and, and they finished second very close, both, both sides. The tricky part is after any Olympic Games, which of course the 2020 Olympic Games, half the squad generally retires or finishes playing. Oh. And so that's why... Almost around the world, you'll see a new-look squad. Australia was one of the few sides that kept most of their players, but that's because they had different ambitions they were holding on potentially for the Sevens World Cup and things like that. And they also had a lot of younger players. So this is the tricky part. As a coach of these sides, you have to balance your experienced players and your younger players coming through and it's, mm. it's a, hard, a hard task because you want to win every tournament, you want to do well, your job's on the line, but you also need to unearth young players coming through, which I think Australia have done the best job of the country. So saying that, you know, like if I get a chance to look at the teams that we you know as soon as the, the woman and the men announce their squads, you'll see still a substantial turnaround from this year to next year, which will be interesting to see. So it's tough to gauge the balance of where the teams are. But no, I, I mean, I would honestly say the the men's are a bit more competitive in terms of you know the countries have played at that level a bit longer, and so you, okay. you find your top six or eight could win a tournament. Where in the women, you perhaps your top four or five could win it. Um, I think I okay. did some research actually for the men. Twelve different countries have won tournaments. Okay, so like it's like Canada wow. for the men have won one tournament, but they still won a tournament. Where the yeah. women only only five countries have won a tournament stop. You see, that's, so that's that, that kind of shows you the competitiveness of, of, of the, the different, uh, you know, sections, if you will.
1: So if you would, give us a few players to look out for in 2023. It sounds like, in a way, you might not know because of this kind of turnaround, but but who's on Dallin's radar right now?
0: That's a question that Dallin doesn't even know because, as you said, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's hard to see who's back and who's playing. And, and, and also, I think one important thing, too, is it's very tough to indicate particularly when the tournament starts so when you go to hong kong for the men who's who's actually in shape who's actually fit and who's you know who, who's turning it on because just because a player has a has a you know quality name from the previous season and they did really well doesn't necessarily mean they translate to that first tournament so it's always interesting to see how teams rebound and and who which new stars they have the women, of course, won't play in in, in in the first tournament in in what well, won't be their first tournament will be the men's one in Hong Kong, but they'll feature in Dubai uh, and Cape Town. I've unfortunately, I've, I haven't had to decline those two events because I'll be moving back to California, but I'll be watching and seeing how they get on there. So maybe closer to that time I can give you once I've seen the team sheets names to look out for.
1: I've started to notice a, at least a, a handful of players from the Sevens World Series cropping up in the URC, especially South African teams. Um, uh, blanking on his first name, but um, Davis, um, from the Blitzbox is now making appearances in the URC, and I'm just like, oh, it's just it's cool for me to be like, wait a minute, I know that guy.
0: Yes, um, exactly. And then some, and some of them for the Springbox too. Um, you had um, a couple of players have come through Quokka Smith from. Played a little while back, but then on the wing, um, I didn't know they, he was a sevens player, yeah, that's right. Sevens player as well. Then on the wing, uh, I know he got carded in one of the games, but um, uh, Angelo Davids, Angelo Davids, that's it, that's box it. as well. That's right, yeah. So, uh, there's a lot of players come through, and then as you mentioned, in the URC and for their provinces, also, which is really cool. And that was the hard thing, I think, for like Neil Powers, the coach of the men's side, the, the success of the sevens meant that players were, get, were leaving their program because they were going to 15s because of course your salary doubles or triples so it's a no-brainer and then of course they have ambition to represent South African 15s too so that was that was pretty tough for him but look and it's a good it's a good stage though for South African sevens because they've been one of the most consistent sides in the world over the years And new new two new coaches coming in you know a new a new start for their program uh, I'm excited to see what they can bring to the table
1: if you are somebody who's a sevens player and that success gets you onto, you know, a fifteens team where you say, like you say, you, you have a much better salary and sort of more secure, um, does then your body change so much that you kind of can't go back again? Or are there players who just flip back and forth all the time?
0: It is hard to go back and forth. That's for sure. Your body does change because you there's a more, more emphasis on, you know, weightlifting and, you know, right. bulking up in the 15 aside side game you know so i think less people go back and forth at that high level i think at a low level you can or in some countries i've seen you know some other countries that are that have to do double duty play for the national 15 side and their seven side within the same month that's very tricky but with a lack of player pool sometimes that had to happen and that even happened in the u.s years gone by when we didn't have a big player pool so it is very tough to do that's for sure another player that comes to mind is Sibelo sanatla that was uh, one of the top, he's a top trial scorer for Sarabuga all time in the Sevens World Series. Only played a handful of tournaments, but he was that electric. Straight away, he went to 15s then. And, he, you know, speaking to him, he'd love to come back and play an Olympic Games or something like that. But it is tough to get back into Sevens fitness, Sevens shape. Mm. And it all depends on how much rugby they've played that year. Can their body allow for it? And so you're right. It is definitely a challenge, but it's not, not uncommon for some players, particularly during a pinnacle cool event like that, to come back for the Olympics.
1: Well, I can think of a player who managed to do that. I think I'm looking at him right now. I think you uh, managed to play both at the Maccabiah Games at least once. Is that right?
0: Yes. Well, so that was great. So the the, the format there was completely different. It, it was very tiring. I'll say that. So the format <laughs> at, uh, in, 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 in Israel and at the Pan-American Games as well, Pan-American Games is you play your sevens first and you do a, a two-day tournament for the sevens or one day, depending on how many teams there are there. And then you have a day break and then you start the 15-a-side tournament. So your oh body's absolutely gassed by the end of that week. And, uh, and you're right. We had some, some memorable times uh, in Israel. And then we also took a, a group. I actually was the assistant coach, interesting enough. And I was told, I told the head coach that, listen, he's a good friend of mine. And I said, okay, I'll play in the sevens because I love sevens. I want to play in the sevens, but for 15s, I'll just help you coach. And he said, fine, but just bring your boots along anyway to the 15 aside tournament. I said, no problem. So at halftime of the very first game of the tournament, the 15s, he says to me, Dallin, put your boots on. You're on. So there you go. You are never safe.
1: So, my friend, it's always so much fun to catch up with you. I I want to be respectful of your time. Well, no, frankly, I don't want to be respectful, but I will. Uh, So just a couple more things before I let you go, if that's all right. Sure, of course. Um, oh, in fact, so just before we started here, I did mention, um, so early on in the Free Jacks days, we had Owen Scannell involved with the organization. He's moved on from the Free Jacks and has started his own thing, the, the Premier Sevens. I got to see the uh, the DC tournament just uh, two, three months ago. It's a really exciting product. Um, they have equal number of men's and women's teams, uh, like we were talking ahead of time. They pay everyone the same, uh, and it's just, it's a great, exciting brand. Um, do you know much about it, and you, have you had any involvement yet?
0: Yes, absolutely. I, I commented the inaugural event in Me- Memphis, Tennessee, which was fantastic to see that all launch off the ground in 2021. And then this year was involved with two of the three tournaments. One of the tournaments I couldn't do in DC, the one you watched because the US was trying to qualify against Chile uh, for the Rugby World Cup 2023.
1: Whoa, but, whoa. Yeah,
0: exactly. But I, I, I honestly, I'm so excited about the Premier Rugby Sevens because they're giving a real chance for uh, you know, veterans, but also young American and Canadian athletes in particular, a chance to shine on the seven stage. And some players who were seen at the Premier Rugby Sevens got a chance to either go to tryouts for the national teams, USA and Canada, for men or women, and also some of those players got a chance to play on the 7th World Series, which is so great. So I'm very excited to see what next year holds. I believe there's going to be five or six tournaments. It's expanding, it's growing. They're going to get more fans in the stands. They're going to have add more franchises as well, which is great. And I do love that finally there's professional 7s in the US. Because for for long ago, even when I was playing back in the day, it was just the national team. If you didn't make the national team, you didn't do a lot of sevens. I mean, you might have played in the summer and things like that. But now players can play sevens, you know, arguably year round, or they can play MLR and 15s if you're playing in the men's league and then join uh, the sevens after that as well. So there's a paid opportunity to play. And I love that the women get a chance uh, to get equal pay uh, and get to play and, and develop the pool for the U.S. national team, which is huge.
1: I know there's, um, especially by organizations like the Free Jacks, they have, you know, they're making specific outreach, they're, they're really trying to get rugby into the schools, get it in, in their lower and lower levels. So people grow up with it, which is something we really haven't had. Um, I know that's the case with the 15s. Is there also, like, uh, I think 15s is now a an official high school sport, I think it's sort of officially governed now and is looked at, you know, like the other sports that you typically hear about. Is there a similar effort going on with sevens? Are people playing high school sevens rugby?
0: Yes, people are. I think what's great about sevens because you only need a few players on each team. Some, I mean, if you look at it, like some schools that that would, uh, and I'm talking about high schools that couldn't field a football team, right? Because you need so many players. So right. some of those, some of those programs started rugby programs because they're like, well, we only need 20 players who play 15 a side. But some high schools I have heard of only play sevens, which is really exciting and cool because it's such an easy sport to get into, especially if you don't know the game at all. You know, and, and how do a lot of people start? Well, they start because their friend of theirs says, come to practice. And then they come to trial and they're like, hey, I love this game. I get to run, which is what I would have liked to do in football or other sports. And I get to do this on a rugby field and I get to tackle and and at the same time. So there are a lot of high school leagues playing sevens. I also think what is really great about it is that because it's an Olympic sport, it's a legitimate sport for parents to have their kids play as well. There are scholarship mm. opportunities now available all over the country to play 15s or sevens and or sevens. So if you're a good, look, if you're a good sevens player, you generally will make a good 15s player too. But it's not always the case the other way around. Just because you're a good 15, 15 side player doesn't mean you're a good sevens player. So I feel like the skills for sevens players really aid you in the game of 15s. So uh, I, I love that it's play, played in more schools. I also think that. You know the flag or non-contact version of the game needs to be in the school system at elementary school level, so that kids hmm. grow up playing a, a version of rugby at safe, that's easy to play, that can be co-ed, uh, and 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 that was part of you know a program I was working with called Play Rugby USA, which is based in New York, but they had a yeah. had an office in Los Angeles. Yeah. So that was wonderful. We went to over a hundred schools in Los Angeles doing flag rugby for young boys and girls. And it was cool because you get to teach them a bit about the rugby's and the, value, the values of the game and the ethos behind it. But in a non-contact fashion, you could play on a basketball court. Parents were straight away, wow, this is really cool and exciting that everybody gets to touch the ball. There's no quarterback. Everybody gets to defend. Everybody gets to score. And it's a safe version of the game.
1: Uh, uh, the most recent time I got to talk to Alex Maggleby, he said that very same thing that, you know, one of the greatest selling points for rugby is, you know, at a certain at a certain level, when you're playing American football, suddenly, you're, if you're not the quarterback, you don't touch the ball. You know, if you're not one of those key skill positions, you just are never going to carry with it. And to be able to say, hey, you will carry the ball. It's coming to you. It's going to be there and you're going to have to do something with it is a really great selling point.
0: Yeah, no, it's so great. And, and I remember coaching at Occidental College, we had a five football uh, uh, kids that came over to the rugby program and they couldn't believe that they get to run with the ball and then they can tackle somebody if, you know, if they have a position, So they get to do it all. They were thrilled by it. So it was so great.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, penultimate question for you. Actually, um, to be fair, two-parter though. Um, what nation, in your opinion, should be a lot better than they are right now. So a two-parter in that which nation that currently is competing should be performing better. And then on the other hand, which nations could compete at this level that aren't currently a part of, for instance, the HSBC series?
0: Yeah, so that, that is a, that's a good question. It's a tricky question to answer for sure because I think success in sevens really depends on the investment in the game. And so mm. the tricky part is you know, you've, you've got some countries that do have a lot of resources, particularly with Olympic sports, And I'm thinking about you know China and Japan, but haven't quite excelled in sevens as you would expect they should with the amount of resources and players they have access to. So that's definitely tricky. But you, I I don't feel like it's tricky to single out countries to say they should be better at sevens. I don't think a lot of countries, if you're not playing in the sevens World Series, it's hard to get that high level experience. So Mm. when when a team plays, there's now the Challenger uh, uh, Cup which happens. So you know, your next level of sevens players are able to get a chance to play against good competition. And the winner of the challenger series joins the sevens world series. So that's really great. So Uruguay will get oh. a chance to play on the series this year for the men, which is really great. So the the, the, the tricky part is how do they prepare? Well, you, if you're not playing on the sevens world series, you're playing against teams that you maybe will beat all the time. So you only get better by playing better opposition. So I think that's that, that's a tricky one too, is that you just need more and more tournaments at a high level tournaments for these teams to get experience and then of course for their unions to put money in sevens because the 15 a side game absorbs a lot of resources because you have to travel with a lot of players and so that's yeah. hard, but i feel like as a sevens enthusiast knowing also that sevens is, is is a very competitive game more countries can win as we spoke about earlier if i was in charge of a rugby union i would put more money in the men's and women's sevens programs for that country to accelerate their ranking, to accelerate the tournaments they play in, to grow the game that way, because more people, you know, it's an exciting version of the game, right? So sure, 15th is traditional, but when you go to a Rugby World Cup, let's be be realistic, only uh, three or four teams have a chance of winning that World Cup. And so, Mm. you know, when you're ranked 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, you would barely even win a game. And the US and the men have not won a game since 2011 at the Rugby World Cup. And they won one game, was against Russia, who are ranked lower than they were. So whereas in sevens, The US woman or men can beat anybody on any given day. And so can other countries too, which is really exciting. So I suppose to uh, uh, circle a way to answer your question, it's all about investment. It's all about having strong enough competition to accelerate your program. And that Challenger Series, I think, is very exciting. Keep an eye on those teams coming through. And the winner of that each year will replace, either replace a team on the Series who'll be relegated, uh, or if they have an invitational spot open, they'll take that spot as well, which is great.
1: I was going to say, so uh, our uruguay taking the spot of somebody or how's so that gonna they, work
0: yeah so so good question so they had so let's see wales and japan were the two teams that finished lower on the series but because great britain remember absorbing oh, three countries, okay they don't have to drop a team out they would normally have oh. dropped a team out you're right so um i, I think they actually were Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they were going to, at some point, drop two teams from, this, from the men's sevens World Series and get the two next best teams that come out of the Challenger Series. But we'll wait to see how things go, because they're always looking to change and reinvent and make things different. So with GB taking part in the men and the women, no team will be relegated this year.
1: Interesting. So a final question for you. What would be a Dallas Stanford's dream sevens festival so setting the stage for you so it's a gorgeous spring day you're there purely as a fan your your friends your family are there with you it's the final match of the final day for both the men and the women who are the teams you're watching and where are you
0: wow okay so it is usa in the men's it's usa south africa Okay, my two countries going ahead and oh, ahead. How would you decide? Yes, in, in, the, in the woman, <laughs> it's USA. And then I would put in, let's say it's Australia or New Zealand, the current you know uh, leader of, of the pack, if you will. And then the great thing is it, for the woman's side, I'm, I want the US to win for sure. For the men's side, it doesn't matter if, the, if South Africa or the USA win. But I say that because you know, I, I, I love obviously both countries, but I do want the USA to win more these days only because it'll help their program. It'll motivate more people to take part in the sport. It, it will really uh, help the country continue to grow and elevate the game, which I think is great. Where am I? I'm in Greece on that Island I mentioned, and uh, yeah. everyone's around having a brilliant holiday and we're about to sink a few jars.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hydra yeah. is one of those gorgeous <laughs> islands, just yeah. emerald waters all around it's, it's exactly. funny when i was when I, when I was sort of putting together that question i said oh you know he doesn't have to be on comms that day i'm going to put him in the stands <laughs> with the <a> friend <laughs> and i was like well wait a minute but you love what you do uh, sure. is it a better day for you when you're doing the comms for your favorite teams or when you're sitting there watching them
0: i will say it's i i like to commentate because it's like you, you you're really in the center of the game really taking part right so you're actively taking part which is great and you, you also, you know, you appreciate it a bit more because you do a lot of research, a lot of homework. So when mm. the game's on, you're more invested as well. Look, I like watching the games too, which is great. You get to chill and chat with your friends, but it's, 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 Look, it's a real honor to be able to, and a privilege to be able to go to these amazing places around the world, do what you love, get paid for it, and see friends at the same time in between games here and there. And then, you know, I, I generally don't do like a cup final. So I get to enjoy the cup final with friends oh. and I get to work before then, which is great as well. I've called a few of the women's cup finals, which have been a real honor to, to do that as well, uh, but not on the men's side yet.
1: So when you're there, if, if it's you and your wife watching a match in person, do you ever, do, does she ever end up saying you're commentating again? You're commentating again.
0: <laughs> hey, that happens just at home. She's like, you're talking too much again, commentating everything going on. So yeah. <laughs> I get lots of practice.
1: Well, Dallin, my friend, you are truly one of a kind. It's always an honor and a pleasure to chat. I'm hugely grateful for the time you've spared for the scrum of the earth. Um, please give us what's happening next for you. You know, anything you have to plug, what are you looking forward to? I forgot to even mention your Rugby Hive podcast. Last time we talked, I completely missed it. And I don't want to, I don't want to do that again. Uh, the stage is yours.
0: Thanks so much, David. Firstly, it's great, great to be back on your show. I uh, love what you do again, spreading the the love of rugby. And I'm so pleased you're a big Sevens fanatic now as well, which is so great. Um, yes, con- the rugby group. hive. Yeah, you do. You do. Season three of the rugby hive is 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 coming up this month, which is really great. Our first guest is going to be the Blitzbox Sevens captain, Shakes. So is Wappie. Uh, we then have kelly griffin the usa uh, olympian who's now working in as a coach head coach in the premier rugby sevens as well which is awesome we've got a a bunch of other great guests coming through so yeah we try we try to do a good job of promoting some of our our best women in the sport and the best men as well whether they're playing or coaching current or former um so it's a real mixed bag so so people can go to our socials uh, at rugby hive and and check us out for sure next for me uh i'm going to do some of the Rugby Europe Super Cup, commentating that remotely, which is really cool and exciting. And so that's a that's a tournament that I've been following of, of late. There's seven countries yeah. taking part yeah, this year. There's there are eight teams from seven countries in two divisions, second year of the competition. It's really great shining light on, on rugby happening in Georgia, Portugal, Spain, Belgium, Israel, the Netherlands, and Romania which is awesome. Yeah. And and then um, a few of those games I'll do remotely, which is awesome. And then I get a chance to fly to Hong Kong and kick off the 7th World Series before my wife and I move to sunny California to avoid the New England winter. So,
1: the, yeah. <laughs> I mean, nobody knows it, but I'm shaking my fist right now. <laughs> um, but the competition you just mentioned, um, I, I think this is only its second year. And suddenly, out of nowhere, with no warning, it, it just appeared on Flow Rugby. It's just there. as a, you know The long list of matches I'm able to watch. Um, I watched. Uh, I've watched a few. They've been really exciting. It's, I, you know, of course, I love watching any rugby, but it's really high level. And like you say, it's these teams you're not really used to, which is fantastic. Um, so I reached out to the lead official for one of these matches, and got in touch with him, and uh, he was like, "Oh, I would love to come on and talk about this league and t- tell you all about it." But then he kind of said, "Well, but you know, I'm not sure if that's okay. I should check with like our marketing guys and stuff." So he put it all together on an email chain and they were like, Oh, that sounds great. And then they completely blew me off. So it looks like a big no-go. I, I've done these sort of gentle, Oh, sorry. Were you waiting to hear from me? Kind of things. And uh, no
0: dice. So well, uh, well, know. well it, at least you've seen it on flow rugby, which is great that it's being carried somewhere in the U S people can check it out, which yep. is awesome. And yeah, I think it's really great. You know, these teams are outside of this, the traditional six nation sides, if you will. So it's really good to see our rugby developing there. And, and we know, of course, in fifteens Portugal will be playing against the USA coming up in that qualifier. So it'll be interesting to see how their their club sides do as well, uh, which is really cool. Uh, look, for me, I just love that there's a chance you can commentate some rugby remotely and not have to travel around the world as well, mm. which is nice because it does you know it does free up your schedule a little bit, which is great.
1: Down Stanford commentator extraordinaire and generally beautiful human being thank you for joining us here yet again you will always be welcome here thanks for putting smiles on so many faces for for a living basically you do it year round
0: cheers thank you so much you sneak sensation
1: have a great time in in hong kong cheers and talk to you soon
0: my friend cheers buddy
1: Well, my friends that does it for now I'm just so happy to have gotten Dallin back on the show I hope you enjoyed our little chat as much as I did and be on the lookout for any and all of the games he'll be calling in the near future you know it makes any match better guaranteed Uh, don't forget to check out his own podcast linked to the show notes of course and then hey why not leave us both a nice review two birds with one stone and all that right so anyway as always thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe cheers talk to you soon and be well
0: Also never stops talking does Pedronato, but I suppose that's the job of a scum off he feeds five out from the own line so two two. Makes up, finds Jordan. Jordan skins one, back to Hoskins 2-2. Here comes Padanada, back on the inside, Barrett! Oh, not even Wes Craven could have directed that, it's frightening from the All Blacks. And Bowden Barrett gets a popular try in DC.